Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Like some people are just not as talented as other people. And like, that's life. And like, I mean, yes, some people want people to be humble. But at some point, when are you going to be confident? Being cocky and being confident is two different things. They run the same line, but it's a thin line. And you got to know the difference. One, two, three, four, five, seven, and one, two, three, four, five, seven. <laughs> you guys, obviously, all my cheer heads, where are my cheer heads at? Uh, the bad bitch quote of the week belongs to none other than Ladarius from Cheer on Netflix. Are you guys watching this? I can't imagine that so many of you haven't seen it at this point, um, but I had to talk about it. I am obsessed. I'm like really trying not to rewatch it as we speak. And so that's why I'm recording now. <laughs> um, so it's, it's incredible. Six part series on Netflix. Um, and it's all about this cheer squad in Corsicana, Texas. Um, they are a junior college, Navarro college or Navarro college. They kind of interchange it, um, throughout the episode or season, but, um, they are home to fruitcake apparently. <laughs> and also they have the best junior college cheer squad in the country, um, they're highly competitive. They are coached by Monica Aldama and she is the queen of my heart. Cheryl Crow lookalike, Duchess of Tough Love, Marchioness of Sensible Booties. She is everything. She exudes the sort of like quiet confidence that I love. I knew from the moment she came on screen that this was the bitch for me. I love a terrifying white woman. I love a woman who's got like a hard body 
And, you know, she just she's just going to tell you how she feels. She doesn't mince words. She does not hurt feelings. These kids, I don't know if you can call them kids because it's college. And one of my questions about this series is like, how old are these people? <laughs> I actually just saw on Twitter that Gabby Butler, who is one of the main characters, just turned 23 yesterday. Um, so I'm trying to figure out like how old these, because like I said, this is a junior college and the ages are questionable. It seems like a lot of things are happening behind the scenes that I, uh, you know, for sports. Um, but the main cast includes Lexi, who is their vaping queen. Um, she must have been the inspiration for like eight of the storylines in Euphoria season one. We have Morgan, who was abandoned by her parents and basically forced to like live on her own with her brother in a trailer as a teenager. We have Gabby, who is the like social media star, the queen of cheerleading. Um, we have Ladarius, like I said before, the former football player who faced abuse by his family members. And we have Jerry. And I'm not even going to spoil Jerry for you guys. He's just, I- I'm going to cry just thinking about it. Um, there are 40 people on the cheer squad, but only 20 people make it on that, which refers to them being able to compete like the top national cheer association, national cheer association competition all going down in Daytona, Florida, <laughs> where things really get popping. Um, so there's a lot of competition, not even on a national level, which I guess they don't really touch on this, but to be fair, they're only competing against one other team and they do kind of like show you the team a little bit. It's called, um, the school's called Trinity Valley and they're also like super close to located to, um, Navarro. Um, but Monica has been the coach. She is, gosh, I really don't want to spoil it, but I think you just got to know. She is a woman, a very accomplished woman. She's got her master's. She's got her BA. She really wanted to like move to New York and just like take over wall street or take over the business sector and really take things over. Um, but she got this offer to teach coaching and this is where she felt like she was called. Um, since then they have won, gosh, I think at the time of the beginning of the documentary, I think they had won like 14, somewhere between 12 and 14 national titles, um, from 2012 to today. Um, so they're like crazy, like nobody can top them. Monica, it's, it's very strange. Cheerleading is kind of like being a chef in that, like you would kind of think that there would be a lot more women in the field, but it's really like all the, most of the top, top people are all men. So most of the top cheerleading coaches are men. Um, and she's like one of the few women that are out there. And one of the, um, coaches slash students says that she is, he he was kind of misogynistic. (laughs) And he said like that he, that like she has to possess like a certain quality to be able to like compete on a men's level, a men's coach level, which I thought was kind of weird because he also said that like she is everything to him and that he wants to be just like her. Um, So yeah, you guys, if you have not watched it, run, don't walk. I think I love documentaries. Like I watch them far and away more than I do movies. Um, So like I know what I look for. Like I know what makes, I think I know what makes a good documentary. And I think for in terms of this series what really makes it kind of more intriguing is that they give you like 
a lot of information. They give you a lot. They let you in a lot, but they don't give you like the full stories on a lot of things. So you're still left with like a lot of questions towards the end. Um, like we definitely touch on like the main characters' lives. Like I said, Gabby has basically this has been her whole life as cheer, and like she's really made it to the top. Um, we get like Ladarius' story. We get to see a lot about Lexi and kind of how she had a troubled past. Um, but they don't really get into detail of why. Like we see a lot of things, but I, there are just a lot of unanswered questions, which I think is great. Like I think what also could have given us a potential for more seasons moving on is that like they don't really touch on. I mean, they they do reiterate the fact that like this is kind of it for them. This is, like, the top of the heap in terms of the cheer world. And unless you go on to be a coach, like, there's really nothing for you future-wise. Like, you're not going to join a professional adult team and be able to compete. Like, that's just not the reality of the situation. And, like, do you guys remember? They even touch on this. Like, I, I had totally forgotten. Like, I used to be obsessed with watching cheer competitions on ESPN but they don't even do that anymore like it's such an enclosed circle of people like to be able to even watch the competitions it's like an app that you have to go on and there's like a live stream um so it's really like it's in an odd position where I feel like cheering could be a bigger thing but like because of the powers that be within the administrations and the associations like they keep it very insular in a very like odd way but so I thought also thought that was really interesting um I love that they really touch on like the the family dynamic I love that they don't make it like because a documentary like this could easily go in the way of like a you know like a dance documentary like a pageant thing where like you know, it does take a lot of money to be able to compete in these competitions. You have to pay the coaches, you're paying for, you know, training and all of these extra things like uniforms or nothing, shoes or nothing. Like there's a lot of money going out. And so it could very easily have been like a, oh, look at these like rich white girls and, you know, the moms who are, they're eventually going to resent, you know, it's, you really could see like the people who it would not have had the money to do this if it weren't for their talent. People who did not come from those like privileged backgrounds. I thought that was really awesome to, cause there were a lot of people that they could have focused on. And I think it was really awesome that they focused on so many people of color and just of like different backgrounds. Um, like I said, we get, like they don't really touch on the future, like what happened to the people after they kind of touch on it, but not really. Um, we don't really see any alumni. They they say that, like, it's still, like, a very tight-knit community. Like, you guys go on to, like, be best friends, and you're still, like, in the cheer community. But, like, we only really see one guy who has a handlebar mustache and ends up being a firefighter. And he mentions, like, even when I'm late, I still think about how Monica would be disappointed in me um, for waking up late. Um, so, yeah, I... I just really, really loved it. I thought something that was really interesting is like, um, and I won't get into it further, but like how they react to injuries, but also from a, like a, how they chose to show it on the documentary is that you don't see a lot of them, but you hear them. And so like, it makes a different impact 
to just be able to hear it and to see people's reactions to it, it, it really adds like an interesting layer. Um, and then there was another scene in the very beginning with like, we don't see a lot of their schooling. We don't see a lot of the kids like outside lives. Like you might see them in a dorm getting ready or something, but it's usually like with another cheerleader. We don't really see a whole lot of like their other lives. We don't see their relationships. Um, and things like that, but they do show a scene of them, there are a few of them in class, and they're like a Texas government class, and it must be, I mean, I hope it was the first day, <laughs> but this lady is going on about basically the culture of Corsicana and Texas as a whole, and like, I could not believe that this was like a teacher, or a professor even, like, aren't you supposed to be like, keep it pretty impartial, and like, if you're going to insert your opinion, don't like insert it so directly. Like she says it like Tex Max food is like way better than actual Mexican food and it pans to what looks like a Latinx girl who's just staring at her. Um the lady's talking about how, you know, Texans have mostly conservative views and how they viewed traditional marriage and it was very clear that she was like a gun-toting Trump-loving supporter and like to see these kids reactions because you know most of these kids aren't from that area a lot of these kids because they're so talented are being recruited down to Texas so like to see all these kids from you know like larger towns or maybe more liberal areas to see they would be like the reactions to this professor is so amazing. Um, as much as I would love for the show to go on forever, I think it kind of exists perfectly as a one-off. Like, listen, I'll sign the petition for season two. Like, don't fuck with me. I'm all the way here. I'm trying to practice my full fulls right now. I'm stretching right now as we speak. I'm in a toe touch. Um, and yeah, I just, Oh, guys, did you know, I maybe, you know, I know that you guys always say very nice things about how um, excited I am and how my voice doesn't bother you at all. Um, but it should come as no surprise that I actually used to be a cheerleader. <laughs> um, I cheered for like three years for basketball and football. So it wasn't like competition cheer like this. But like, even just watching this, it gave me like, the memories came flooding back. Like, I still remember like, doing my first stunt like learning it how to do a stunt and like I was a base and I just like really I actually really loved cheerleading but I did not like my teammates basically so that was pretty much the reason why I quit and I, but I really loved it and I always like I look back and there were really a lot of memories like I loved doing routines and I loved like being out there just like having a really good time um but yeah, all, all the memories came flooding back and like, eh, it was so great. But like, if you don't have that background, like, don't let it deter you. It's not like what you're thinking from cheerleading. And I think it really sheds a lot of light on the sport. And so yeah, run, don't walk for real. Sister Wives is a show that I go back and forth on recapping because, well, it just started, but you can really miss entire seasons of this show without missing a beat. This season, however, is heating up for two very stupid reasons. First, we have Cody, who made the decision to, quote, lead the family to Flagstaff, Arizona, a place they chose because it was going to be cheaper, and that now was the time to move out of their four homes because their homes would never be worth more than they would be now. 
They check out Flagstaff, which is shockingly has a higher land value and overall cost of living information that I'm sure isn't available on Google or, you know, your wife that is a real estate agent. Oh, well, nobody wants to move. Too bad. I'm the leader. Where we go one, we go all. <laughs> so cut to the new season. The family has half moved out of their old homes that are not ready to be put out on the market. And even if they are, where at the time of filming, it's winter, which is like, according to Janelle, again, the real estate agent of the family, the worst time to sell houses. Um, so now instead of four mortgages for homes that everyone was happily living in, they now have four mortgages on homes that basically look like abandoned trap houses, four rentals scattered about Flagstaff, leaving the family more divided than ever, which was the opposite of the point of them moving. <sighs> okay. And a whole plot of land for the four new homes that they have to build, but they can't afford to, can even dream to afford of building them right now because they have eight other <laughs> rents that they're paying on top of two different utilities for the homes that they are living in and the homes in Las Vegas that they have yet to sell. So as of this, gosh, is it the third episode? They have one has just gone on the market, Janelle's home, and another one is about to go on the market, but the two are like, the other two have like, it's not happening anytime soon. <sighs> I would like to know what Cody has led his family to other than financially ruin. Hard to say. I don't know. Um, secondly, it seems like they're finally going to address the LuLaRoe-clad Eeyore in the room, Mary. Now, Mary is a nightmare, and she's the worst person. Correct. Does she drive a storyline? Absolutely. If we didn't have Mary, we'd be subjected to Robin crying because the cashier Tuesday morning looked at her the wrong way or some shit and Christine making jokes about how horny she is for Cody. Is that what you want in your life? Because I don't. <laughs> um, so instead we have Mary who betrayed her marriage and the family. These people, I don't know if it's like a Utah thing, but they say, they don't say family. They say family. They don't say deal. They say deal. It's not a big deal. It's everything's such a big deal. <laughs> it drives me crazy. Um, so Mary betrayed her, her marriage a few years ago and the whole family by getting catfished by a lesbian posing as a man on the internet and making everybody uncomfortable she has not been able to live it down and by that I mean she is the one who keeps bringing it up even so much as making her daughter meet another woman who had been catfished by the same person and like some effort to like bond with each other and she was like so excited about her meeting the girl the woman's daughter it was so freaking weird oh my gosh um so I'm fully against discrimination <laughs> however if you want to be a polygamist whatever but I think it is so funny that out of all of the four women that moved to Flagstaff that Mary was the only one who had issues with her neighbor she didn't even get to live in that house for one day, not even an hour. Didn't even get to sit down and like picture where she wants her furniture to go, where the LuLaRoe backstock is going to be hung. Not for one moment until <laughs> the neighbors um, basically raised hell enough until her, um, the person who owned the home told her that she had to leave. Is that funny to me? Yes. <laughs> 
because out of all the people, why would it be Mary? Childless Mary basically is a single woman because Cody can't stand to be around her. So, I mean, out of all the people who would be negatively affecting, you know, in their minds, uh, you know, the sanctity of Flagstaff, Arizona, Mary seemed like the least offensive, but whatever. So she ends up getting stuck in Vegas for a few weeks until she finds another home. And what she ends up finding is this gigantic, what looks like a lake house, but I guess it's not. It's like a lake kind of mountainy type house. It's huge. It has an elevator entirely for herself. The house looks really nice from the outside. It looks very chic. It's like they redid the outside, but like the inside is very dated. She's got like a sink in the in the bath in the, in her bedroom rather in the master bedroom which I don't like I, I don't know if that's like a chic thing to do but like I don't want a formica counter in my bedroom I don't know I don't care how big the bedroom is doesn't matter um so Janelle the, okay so the women go to lunch in this la- latest episode um, and it was a master class in passive aggression. I could not believe what I was watching. I actually had to take calming breaths, soothing breaths so that I could get through it. We get what could be a very like poignant scene because the women are talking about how, namely Janelle talking about how the move and being so separated from her family, the whole family has really basically caused her to be depressed. She said that she doesn't want to leave her um, bed and that she rarely goes outside. And Christine chimes in and says that she's been feeling the same way um, that without having that whole nuclear family close by, it's been really affecting her mental state, but no, nothing's more important than poor Mary. Mary has it worst of all because she's been sleeping on the floor, on the mattress, on a mattress, but on the floor because she's now been in Flagstaff. She's in the new house. She's been in it a couple weeks. So she is upset because she doesn't have anybody to come put her bed together. And it's just like a national tragedy. Like, never forget. Janelle suggests that Mary hired the same person that she hired because she mentions that, you know, since we've all had to do this like ridiculous move, we've moved out of four homes, we've moved into four homes. And Robin mentions this too. She's like, you have to understand that like the past two months have been stressful for all of us. All of us are adjusting. We're all moving. We're all moving our stuff in. And at this point, now you're like, Two months into the things, everybody's getting kind of settled and into their grooves that they don't necessarily want to help you move all of your, you know, shit, all your boxes into that huge ass house that like has an elevator inside, but like a very steep driveway and stairs to get into the home itself. Um, So I can't imagine why she made such a stink about this. Mary gets so upset (laughs) about the suggestion of hiring help because in her mind, this is something that the family needs to be helping her do. The whole family needs to be helping her unpack because in her mind, that's the only way that she can have interaction with them is by forcing 20 people to do manual labor for her. Okay. I mean, can we have a family dinner? Can we have a park day where you get... Um, tackled by Christine again. I would love to see that. The only way through your heart is through blood, sweat, and tears. Like, what? 
Then she starts to cry. Cry! <laughs> then she, she's like talking to the women about how, like, oh, I don't have... I don't have Cody to help me. I don't have Dayton to help me. And, and, um, Robin says, well, none of us really have Cody to help us. Like if you're expecting him to be there for you in a way, you know, in an intense way, like it's not going to happen because it doesn't happen for any of us because guess what, dude, he has four wives and you chose this. Um, it is infuriating to watch her cry about the fact that like her family won't do won't unpack for her, won't move her furniture. This this is the only definition. It's unbelievable. Okay. So finally, Robin is reasonable and says, if you can hire help for the big stuff to get the big things moving into your house, we're happy to all come over and help you unpack. No, that's not good enough for Queen Mary. And she says, well, I get what they're saying. Nobody wants to move. But at the same time, I feel like their love and caring for me is conditional. Yeah. (laughs) It's conditional upon having actual good memories, not doing work for you. Like, what? What what is your idea of conditional? Then she goes on like a whack-ass Johnny Cochran and says, the the family will love you if you want to do something fun, but not if you need something done. (sighs) Keep in mind that Christine also mentions that her two of her daughters said that they offered to Mary to her face to help her unpack things, move things any time. And Christine says that Mary did not ever once take her up on their offer because she's a fucking Debbie Downer. Ugh. Okay. The later Mary says that she feels like everyone's frustrated with her, but that she has to quote, do her own thing, which makes things really awkward. Like, I understand that you guys are all really mad at me, but like, you also have to understand that like, I have to live my own life. Okay. So do you want to be part of the family or not? And I think it was Janelle that said, you know, I understand that she feels like, or maybe it was Christine. Christine had mentioned like, if I'm not in a good place with Cody, it's very difficult for me to be with the other wives and be around the other wives and watch him have positive relationships with them, which is completely understandable. I get it. I I can't imagine being in Mary's situation where it seems like, for all intents and purposes, she wants to make this relationship with Cody work more than he does. And I think he's just kind of, I don't want to say being nice, because he is being pretty honest about the fact that, like, we don't share a bed. I don't live at her house. We really live separate lives. And um, I know that I'm going a little bit slower than she would like me too but this is just like you know we're in the getting to know you phase again he seems 99.9% checked out and I I can see how that would be really sad to like just be trying to recreate this whole relationship when you were married to this person for decades and now it's like you guys don't even know each other I get that but like Mary instead of being vulnerable or instead of being honest, she makes everybody so uncomfortable by like giving you hints of these like awkward things and be like, well, not really around. Uh, sorry if that makes you guys feel awkward. You, you know what makes you feel awkward? Saying 
bringing up feeling awkward. <laughs> you know, it's like when somebody asks you if you're annoyed or you're upset and you're not, but then you are because they keep asking you. <laughs> and it's like, you're not making the situation better by keep bringing up this feeling. Uh, so Janelle finally says in a talking head that Mary is always making this weird, these weird comments and that it's so awkward, but that everybody basically just glosses over it, but it's getting to the point where they need to address it. So I'm hoping that's what happens later this season. Amen to you, Janelle. You're the only wife that I like and bless you. (laughs) God bless us, everyone, except for Mary. Married at First Sight is in full swing, y'all. We finally got all the couples married and we're seeing the weddings Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. I'm going to start with Mika and Michael. Um, Michael, if you remember, is the first in his family to get married. Um, And they're the first couple to get married in this third episode. Um, He's hopeful that she's fun and that she has natural hair, which she does. Um, Remember, his mom passed away when he was young. Um, And that he's got like kind of like a surrogate family through, I believe, his aunt and his cousin. Um, we turn to Mika and she's crying because her dress is too big, but it's also like a little bit of nerves. Everything gets fixed. She gets some titty tape. Everything's fine. Um, they seem pretty happy with each other. Um, Mika's very accomplished. She wants to be a president of a company. They seem really nervous with each other, but I honestly have a good feeling about them. They have, they seem to have really good energy. The only thing that I find not strange, but like, a possible um how would he come uh, obstacle in the future is the fact that there is a bit of an age difference michael's 31 and mika's 25 which in my mind is quite young to get married but to each their own um yeah they're they're great the only the other thing is that she um she says she wants to have kids in one year and he said two and that seemed to be an issue for Mika. So we'll see. Then we'll have Mindy and Zach. Zach is the quote unquote hot uh, physical trainer. Mindy is the um, figure skater with a tortured past. I have been burned twice before by good looking men on the show. First with a homeboy from last year, Matt, the basketball player. And then two seasons before that was the guy with the beard. And he, um, I'm not even going to dignify it by looking up his name because he was so weird and just disgusting. Um, So now I know when I see a guy who's like a little bit too good looking, I feel weary, but I also feel like this season, everybody's a little bit more good looking than they have been in previous seasons. So my third eye is open on you, Zach. Off the bat, I'm concerned that he's not going to be attracted to her, to Mindy, not because she's not attractive because she is, but I think he seems like an Instagram guy an estate, if you will. Like, I think he wants a girl that like looks like she came out of like an anthropology catalog, somebody who wears like flowers in the hair, non-ironically, like something like that. Mindy looks, and like I said, she's a pretty woman, but she has a look of like a, I don't know. 
I don't know how to describe her. She just looks a little bit uptight. <laughs> she looks a little tightly wound. She doesn't really look like somebody who lets go a lot. But she does have a very good spirit. She does seem very enthusiastic about life in spite of all of the tragedy that's gone on with miscarrying, with losing her sister to addiction. Um, and these are things that she's going to have to bring up to Zach. And I just don't know if he's going to be able to hang. Um, Taj, who is Mindy's sister, says that the dad, their dad texted to ask for pictures of the wedding, um, which is a little bit awkward because we are reminded that Mindy's parents basically refused to come to the wedding because they think the whole experiment, the whole, uh, I keep wanting to say 90 day, uh, the whole married at first sight experience is bullshit, basically. Um, because Mindy lost her sister so recently, it's kind of hard not having the whole family together, but she's grateful that Taj is there. Um, and they, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. So Zach says that he has dated beautiful women in the past, so he's looking to find something new, which is something that, like, every man says, but nobody, no man actually really follows through on. <laughs> um his mom calls him out pretty quickly and says that he has commitment issues. And earlier she even said as they're um, getting ready for the wedding, like maybe this will help you with, maybe this will help you learn how to treat a woman. (laughs) Yikes, mom. Yikes. Um, So five minutes before the wedding, they show like four empty seats on Mindy's side that I guess are supposed to be representative of the family, which I thought it was like kind of bullshit that they mentioned it. Cause they, they show people in the audience being like, Oh, where's your family? Blah, blah, blah. But it's like, clearly they have like bridesmaids and groomsmen, but they never have them sit. They never have them stand. You know, they always have them sitting in the, what do you call it? They're sitting in the chairs. They're not standing up with the the bride and groom. Um, so obviously those chairs were for her sister and the bridesmaids. Um, yeah, so Mindy is all in. She is so, so into Zach. His pompadour is thriving. It's in like a full brunette Johnny Bravo. Um, during his vows, he actually gets down on his knee to propose to her and kisses her hand, which is something that I've not seen. I feel like the only time I've seen an actual proposal is when Bobby and Danielle were from like a couple seasons ago at the very end when it was decision day, he actually buys her an engagement ring and proposes to her. And they've, you know, lived happily ever after having a little tiny pale baby. It's good for them. Um, <laughs> So everybody's really impressed by him actually proposing to her. Um, when they are finished with their vows and they're about to walk down the aisle, he actually takes a selfie, <laughs> which like I wanted to be annoyed about, but I was actually like, oh, that's kind of cute. Like, oh, this is such a great moment. He winks at her a lot. He very much, you get the sense that he thinks he's like that guy. And I don't even think he had to lay it on thick at all because she is a smitten kitten. When they finally get to talk to each other, he asks why she did it. And she says she's ready to take a leap of faith. And he said, me too. Um, He kind of asks her about the parents, her parents. And she says, you know, like, we can talk about that later, but... You know, she kind of politely evades the answer. 
he says that she's attractive and they were basically like during their photo shoot after the wedding they were pretty much making out um his parents seem really open and by that i mean his dad and mom seem really open but if you watch a scene he has a stepmom named carol who was side-eyeing the hell out of mindy she is not here for it she's not here for the cameras she's not here for this wedding she's not happy carol was not having it it was such a great scene of being her watching her be like "Ugh, girl i'm i'm not having it um next we're gonna go with brandon and taylor brandon is hot carlton banks to me and taylor is not solange taylor's mom talks to brandon at the reception and she asks why he did it and he says one two three that he is taking a leap of faith (laughs) And he goes, well, I guess your daughter's my perfect match. She goes, apparently so. (laughs) Then he asks how she feels about her marrying a stranger. And and Mama Taylor's like, "Mm, I don't know. I have to be honest. I don't like it. It's shocking to me, but whatever. They talk a little bit. She says that she, she feels a little bit more at ease having spoken to him. And... He tells her mom that he's not just here for the eight weeks and that he is really committed to this, um, that this is not just an experiment for him, that, like, he's viewing this as a real relationship and, like, basically, like, TV show be damned, like, I'm here. So she feels a lot better, and she, the mom, says that she hopes they can be friends. Excuse me. Um, And, yeah, that's about it. They, They ask all the couples about whether or not they thinks that they're going to have sex at night and Taylor says no, but Brandon seems more open to it. More on that later. <laughs> um, as a little, like, I don't know how do you, I don't want to say that. As a little aside, we get a scene that actually explained a question that Riley had and I had about like when these weddings are being filmed, like, are they staggering them out? They're all on the same day or some people getting married in the daytime, some in the evening and like, How are they all getting married? What's going on with the reception? So we get a scene between the two of the women, Jessica and Mindy. And so they meet in the bathroom and we find out that like one is getting married on one floor and the other one's getting married in another. So they had a scene where they're meeting in the bathroom. They're like, oh my God, I'm so happy for you. They're like in their wedding dresses and like putting their makeup on and they're asking about the husbands and asking like, oh my gosh, like, do you like him? Is he cute? And they're like both really happy. Mindy, like I said, is on top of the world. Like you can tell that she has never dated a guy that she finds as attractive as Zach. She is like, giggling like a schoolgirl, like it's really cute she seems so happy and enthusiastic and i just wish that zach had well i don't wish that he had matched her enthusiasm level but i would i don't know he just seems like very like cool guy but like not really like you can tell it's not genuine like it's just very much put on like he listens to a lot of bruno mars songs you know like he's that kind of guy um, so then we have Jessica and Austin. Um, Jessica says that it feels right and that she's attracted to him. And we see more of Jessica's personality because I thought Austin was going to be like a bit of a goof troop and he is, but like, it turns out that Jessica is exactly the same way that they're both like equally 
goofy and nerdy and it seems like this might actually be a good fit because I thought that like Austin looks just like Napoleon Dynamite and that that wasn't going to work for Jess, but seems to be fine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, When it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all, but when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health, and we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everyone's business today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everyone's business. Um, Austin has a conversation with her friends and Jennifer, who is her twin. And Jennifer asks what Austin plans on bringing to the table. And I hope it's more than his oily skin and hair. Shit. Hopefully Jessica is, is bringing some dry shampoo into the relationship or it's lights out on the good pillowcases. <laughs> Austin says that he has no plans on like making a first move on Jessica just see how things go. We get a shot of them in the hotel room at the end. And Austin is clearly very nervous. He's giving you big virgin energy, but things seem to be going well. And I think like if Jessica kind of makes the first move, then I think things are going to do good with them. Um, am I on the last couple? Gosh, I hope so. Yes. Cause this was so great. Katie and Derek, Katie, if you remember is the girl who had the guy, that she was dating who had like second, what do you call it? Second thoughts about, you know, staying together. Um, but all of those fears washed away when she saw Derek. So she has a conversation with his friends and they tell her that he's kind of a dreamer and that she's going to have to be conscious of that. Uh, Derek talks to her father, Dante, who like, I don't really know what it is about Dante. Probably the name of the fact that his name is Dante, but he just has like a big, nice energy. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he, Derek, asks, like, oh, what should I know about Katie? And Dante says, you know, I was going to ask you questions about yourself, but I actually love that you're asking me about my daughter. Um, then we get a shot. <laughs> this is where the shit really goes down. Kaylin, friend of Katie, is the MVP not even of this episode, probably of the whole season. Um, the girls are in the bathroom, Katie with her bridesmaids. Caitlin is drunk and she goes, so are you going to smash? <laughs> and Katie says, well, not tonight. And Caitlin's like, bullshit. <laughs> and she totally outs Katie the whole time. Then we get a scene with Caitlin excuse me, Derek talks to the bridesmaids and Katie's friends. Caitlin at this point is lit like Bic. She is, can't focus. Her hair is, you know, that, that the kind of hair that comes from like hard dancing and hard liquor at a wedding. <laughs> you can't, you can't replicate that. This is just from struggling. So the friend Caitlin goes, so you're going to fuck her or what? <laughs> Uh, and he starts to answer about how he had been thinking. He's like, you know, I've been thinking about this. And I've been thinking about like, you know, our wedding night, even before we got married. And, and Caitlin goes, no, 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 no. Are you going to dick her down or what? Are you going to put her in her? <laughs> she was great. Caitlin doesn't have any shoes on at this point. She's got her feet up to the little bonfire. And Caitlin says, I need you to know something. Katie needs fire in her life. And he goes, well, what does that mean? And by the way, he's like horrified this whole time. <laughs> um, she goes, what do you mean by fire? She's like, I need you to pull the hair, just a fire. And you need to eat the pussy, right? <laughs> and Derek looks like he wants to throw himself over a balcony. But then he does an interview with the producers and he goes, finding out that she's a great lover is great. She said she's looking for warmth. And I'm looking to provide that warmth. <laughs> um, in the suite, I mean, it's it's going down. You can tell this is like an inevitability. Katie's, um, she gets out of the bathroom. She's got her little, you know, like sexy pajamas, but like not too sexy. The little like short set with the like button up shirt, the satin. And she's like, Oh, uh, here's to an amazing night. Yeah, girl, I bet you're about to get, Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Hi mom. Okay. Well, great for them. We see in a preview that they did have sex that night. So mazel. I love it. I'm actually like, well, I was dreading watching the season because I can't, it's very difficult to watch a two hour episode of anything. My, my attention span is shot to shit, but I'm excited. I think there's going to be a lot of drama. I heard that there was a big spoiler that they, it was like very determined that one couple had already broken up and I've been trying to avoid that, like the plague. So don't spoil it for me. I want to be, I want to go into this with virgin eyes. I want to go into this with Austin eyes. So that's the end of this week of Married at First Sight. Catch you next week. Hide your kids, hide your wives. Love After Lockup is back. <laughs>
I'm going to start with Lacey and Shane. Um, they're still in the midst of their fight. Lacey walks out of the house and leaves Shane to go check on John, but he's not home. She feels that because of his past drug use, something isn't right. Um, Shane goes out with his friend, Joe, to have Long Islands and rip the vape in a wood paneled bar. Um, they have a heart to heart and he, Shane feels like Lacey's behavior is provoking him and he doesn't know how to deal with it. Shane is with his friend, Joe, and Joe basically tells Shane that he needs to accept the fact that Lacey and John had a history and to accept that and to not get too aggressive about it. And honestly, after that, I got distracted because when Joe was talking, he opened his mouth just a little too wide and it looked like he was missing all of the teeth on his lower left side. And I was trying to check it, but I couldn't really tell. Anyway, Shane sounded mad. We'll just say that. Um, back with Lacey, she is still outside of John's house. So she's like thinking like, uh, what, you know, if he's not at home, then where could he possibly be? So she decides to call the jail. Lo and behold, that's where he is. Um, they tell him that tell Lacey that he got a D, D ugh, he got a DWI with possession of needles and paraphernalia, and that he has no bond. And she starts to cry and hangs up the phone. Now she's not crying because of his situation, but she's crying because after the fight with Shane, she wanted to go over to John's to clear the air. So she says after the fight and. But now she can't because John has now taken himself out of the picture completely by being in jail. Babe, you took John out of the picture when you showed up in the parking lot after he was released from jail the first time we saw him to tell him that you're, the engagement that he thought you guys still had was over and that you married another guy. So he is not taking himself out of any picture. <laughs> you are the one that broke up with him. You don't need to be following him. And I don't even think it's that she doesn't see that she is creating chaos and drama around her. She doesn't see that everything she does is selfish, that it's like, if it doesn't work out with this guy, then I'm going to run to this guy and piss the other one off in order to get him to like prove himself to me. And it's like, girl, Shane loves you. Shane has no, <laughs> there is no reason why a 22 year old guy who spent his entire college years, you know, or those fun years being in jail, he loves you. He wants to have a family with you. He wants to take care of your snotty nosed little kids. So just be appreciative of that. And if you're not, then like, it just seems like you don't, you're not really into him. And if it, all it takes for you to want to divorce him is the fact that he doesn't want you to speak to your ex fiance anymore, then I think that's a pretty good sign that you guys shouldn't be together. But what do I know? Um, who came back this week? We got finally Cheryl and Joss. I don't know what said finally because they're boring, but, um, they broke up last season. If you remember, Josh had taken, Cheryl to a highly romantic castle that was under construction that basically looked like a medieval times that had a dragon, <sighs> a dragon on top of it, you know, just the peak of romance and beauty. Um, so they broke up and when Cheryl got to back to Texas, because she had put her whole life on the line and stuck her kids with 
her parents so she could hang out with Colorado with Josh. But so when she gets back to Texas, Josh started calling her and they got picked together. So of course now she's headed up to back to Colorado with one of her kids and no hands on the steering wheel. So there she's talking to Josh on the phone. She's literally got her hand holding the phone up to her face and the other hand just like gesticulating. Like she's there's a child in the car seat in the back. <laughs> Cheryl, Cheryl's fucking wild, man. <sighs> okay. So they're driving and it seems like Cheryl's living situation is precarious because first she says that she plans on moving to Colorado to get back with Josh. And then as she heads to Lacey's house, who was her sister slash correctional officer slash voice of reason slash screaming into the void because Cheryl's not going to pay any attention to her. Um, so they go to her house and Cheryl tells her like, Oh, I'm not actually going to move to Michigan. Like she had told her, she said that she had told Lacey originally that she was going to be moving with her parents to Michigan, take her three kids and like start over. But she's not going to do that. And that she's actually going to move to Colorado to patch things up. And, Honestly, I'm a little bit confused about whether or not she's moving, like, right now. Because it seems, when they were driving, I thought she was, like, on her way to Colorado. Because the car was full of shit. Like, there was a loose TV. It wasn't even in a box. Right next to that poor baby's head. (laughs) Like, she is so wild. She is so, so wild. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, anyway, Lacey thinks it's stupid, and we all do. And that was really all that you can be said, all that can be said about them. Um, Then we go to Marcelino and Brittany. Uh, We find out that Brittany's mom is coming to Vegas and that she wants to start helping with the kids. And we get a little bit more backstory on Brittany. And she says that their relationship between she and her mom isn't bad per se, but that it's not healthy and that they have a lot of closure that they need to have about like what happened in the past when Brittany was growing up. Um, Her parents were alcoholics and I just feel like, I mean, it's always a sad situation when people go to jail because something went wrong, whether it's you made a stupid choice or you're a product of your environment. And it just really feels like Brittany is a product of her environment. And she even brings it up later. It just really feels like if she had had proper guidance and she had had parents that really cared for her, that things really probably would have gone differently for her. And, you know, I I, I hesitated in saying this because then I'm like thinking about the other people who, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to be like, oh, well, like you were in a shitty situation. So this was probably inevitable. (laughs) So I don't, it's, it's not that I feel less empathy for them, but I just feel like more than ever with Brittany that just like things just like she was done wrong. I don't know why I feel that way. And I don't know if I'm articulating that correctly, but she's just very smart and she's very intelligent. And it just seems, it just makes me sad, but they pick up her mom and sister from the airport. And Brittany tells us that her parents basically live for the party and not for their children. And Brittany is originally from Alaska. And once we see her mom, we see that she's got significant burns on her arms. And Brittany tells us that while house sitting, her mom 
there was a gas leak in the home that she was house sitting and that the house blew up and it burned 80% of her body. Um, her mom is now sober. Um, and she and Brittany's sisters are not only not visiting, they're actually like moving to Vegas in an apartment, like down the street from Brittany. Um, they all have dinner and Brittany talks about how abandoned she felt. And like I said, like if, she also feels like if things had been different, some, if somebody had cared for her, that basically she felt like she, yeah, just felt like nobody was around to really parent her. And she tells a story about how, um, when they were first moving down to Vegas, they had, the family had been living in like temporary housing, like a hotel. And she was 12 she ran away because she didn't think that anybody would notice. And then when she came back to the hotel three days later, the whole family was gone. <laughs> and that really broke my heart. It, it really sad. It was very sad. Brittany says that basically she kind of wants her mom to be a good grandmother. And she wants her to be, you know, the kind of grandma that like the kids are excited to go hang out with. And, you know, at the time, basically she wants her kids to have the sort of relationship with her mom that she wasn't able to have. And that makes me sad. Um, her mom gets upset and she walks away from the table and we kind of see her talking. Like we hear her on a mic saying like that, you know, if she could change everything she would have. And she, I guess just wasn't expecting to have that intensive a conversation at that moment. And it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, next I'm going to do Andrea and Lamar. Um, they are arriving at Andrea's home from the airport where they pick Lamar up. They surprise him with a cake and a coffee maker for being off parole finally, which honestly, I mean, I can't say that I thought it was weird that Andrea bought him a coffee maker because two episodes ago we found out that Andrea paid somebody to get knocked up in a prison closet. But I realized that it's also because they're Mormon and they don't consume caffeine. So that was interesting. Um, then Andrea and Lamar go uh, out to the balcony. Andrea's like, oh, Utah is the greatest place in the world. You're not leaving. This is so great. My kids are so happy. And Lamar brings up an interesting point of like, you're excited and you're thinking that you're going to get me excited because you saw all those Mormon missionaries, but you have black children. Mormonism is a predominantly white religion and it's, Mormonism is kind of like a lifestyle. Like you can be kind of like a casual Christian, but to me, I mean, maybe I'm just being ignorant, but like, to me, it's like, it's like West Side Story. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. When you're a Mormon, it's like, you've got your Mormon friends, especially when you're in Utah where it's like Mormonville, that like, it's basically like your whole world is your religion. And Lamar brought out the point and even Tennyson had to agree, like, he, he's concerned about the kids not being exposed to other black kids and like, things like that. Um, and Andrea says that like, she doesn't really care that the, basically it kind of seemed like she thought that like the Mormonism and the whole lifestyle and living in Utah, she feels like the only way to keep her kids safe. And if that's the consequence is that they're maybe not as in touch with their black side or not as exposed to black people, then she's just going to do, whatever she's got to do. Like she doesn't care. Um, the kids actually try to defuse the situation, but, uh, it's still kind of on the fence between them. 
Um, gosh. Okay. So we're going to go to, oof. Oof. Okay, I'm going to go to Sarah, Megan, and Michael. Um, Sarah goes to an attorney to discuss the divorce between her and Michael. They talk about parenting and, like, how unavailable he is, basically. And I thought this was kind of, like, a weird concern that Sarah seemed to have. Because we find out that, like, Michael's not FaceTiming the kids. He hasn't seen the kids in a couple months. And... But Sarah wants to make sure that, like, they have a custody agreement in place because she's concerned, like, you know, if they don't have a custody agreement in place, like, technically, Michael could take the children and she couldn't do anything about it. But, I mean, sorry to say, like, (laughs) if he's not taking the time to even, like, text or FaceTime or answer the calls, like, he's not taking them anywhere. (laughs) anywhere much less to the home of like whatever woman Sarah's concerned about he's cash tapping for you know new ponytail holders or whatever um Michael's still in Texas with Megan um but he's under the weather so Megan goes to his hotel to bring him soup and Megan takes advantage of his weekend state to try to go through his phone but as he's in the bed he's like Megan Hey, Megan, where's my phone? Where's my phone at? She's like, oh, it's in here. Um, she's such a bad liar. She's like, I was just going to go through it. He's <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then he goes on about how, like, about how she's untrustworthy. So they're, like, in the middle of an argument about, like, he's like, if you had just asked me, I would have told you. She's like, well, are you talking to somebody else? He's like, well, now I'm not going to tell you. Like, ugh, she walked right into that trap. Uh, then somebody knocks on the door and who should knock on the door, but rock rock. If we remember is not only the person that set up Megan, excuse me, set up Megan with Michael while he was still in jail. So they started talking, but he's also the guy who last season Megan admitted to having kissed. Michael got very upset with her. This is the whole reason for them breaking up because uh, you know, like, yeah, I had a whole wife and kids on you, but like you made out with my dude, my friend. And that's just like some player shit. <laughs> so she's, she's the one in the wrong hair, of course. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So Rock and Michael go outside to have a discussion and Michael tells 
him that he's upset about the kiss still. And Michael, um, <laughs> I don't know. This is very silly. Rock is like, aren't you talking to other chicks? And he's like, that's not the point. <laughs> so Michael asks Rock if he has feelings for Megan. And he basically says yes. And then... Megan said that they only kissed, but Rock tells Michael that they actually had sex. And so the scene and the episode ends on Michael shoving Rock in the face. A Newport cigarette in one hand and giving out hands with the other. <laughs> Michael's a busy man. He really went from sick to chain smoking cigarettes and punching people real quick. Um, so that was the end of them. And I... Got to end on Clint Tracy. Last week, I was like, oh, I'm so excited for Clint Tracy to come back. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo, you guys. We open on a scene from a jail, just like a lot of B-roll of like, you know, empty jail cells and like the cinder block walls. And then we get settle on a room. And from the other side of that double-paned glass walks an ethereal beauty in a vintage Alexander McQueen dress. Just kidding. It's Tracy in a jail-issued safety smock. All jokes aside, she looks horrible. Half her head is shaved like those girls that looked like they could fight back in 2015. Like, remember when Rihanna got that haircut and it was, like, so chic? And then, like, you know, like, every every chick who had, like, super long nails and would scratch your eyes out with them had it. Um, Clint, then we get a scene with Clint, and he's in a parking lot, and he says, like, you know, after our second wedding in Vegas, the future was so bright. He gets out of the car and he points out the parking space, which was the last time he saw Tracy free. Then we go back to Tracy and she tells producers that while they were in Texas to see her family, they went to a Rangers game. And instead of getting a hotel, they decided to sleep in the car in a parking lot until morning and then just go back home. Okay, so next thing they know, the cops knock on the window and Clint goes out. He's getting arrested because he's got a weed pipe on him. And Tracy says, well, by that time, it was too late to hide what I had. She doesn't want to admit what they what she had on her. So that get a sheet, uh, they, we get a scene of the sheriff where Tracy's staying, who says that she was arrested for a methamphetamine possession. And Clint, we go back to Clint. He was just released from jail. So he stayed there like overnight or a couple nights or whatever. And he says that he's on his way home to try and figure out how to get Tracy out. Um, very, very sad. Really sad, you guys. I, I mean, I think we all saw this coming. I think the, I don't know what you call it, the, the hidden story between Clint and Tracy is that like Clint kind of touched on it, but they never really expanded on it is that Clint has a drug problem too. And so maybe he wasn't doing crack or like meth, but like he used to. And so this was like a, a doomed love story from the beginning. Like, and they ask her Tracy producers asked Tracy at one point, if Clint knew or if Clint ever tried to get her clean and Tracy said, he never stopped me from doing what I was doing. But, like, I knew he didn't like it. She's like, but I know that these drugs have a hold on me. And, like, I know that I'm making bad decisions, but I'm doing them anyway. And it was really sad. Because you could tell that, like, 
she's been using for quite some time. You could tell that she's still, I mean, it kind of seems like it's still in her system. She's kind of twitchy and, and she, she doesn't seem all there. Like it's very clear when Tracy's sober or close enough to sober and when she's off the wagon is it on the wagon or off the wagon that's one of those things that I'm just like totally stupid about like I just I don't know what the term is I think it's off the way it seems like it would be off the wagon right because like you're on the wagon and that's a good thing but then you're falling off and that's bad right (laughs) I sound really stupid now anyway that was the end of love after lockup I think it's fair to say that when we watch reality shows, um, there has to be a certain suspension of our core values and beliefs for the sake of entertainment. This could not be true, more true than with my, probably one of my top favorite reality shows, Vanderpump Rules, um, the hotbed of diversity that has a cast of 70,000 white straight people in the hotbed of one of the gayest areas of the country, West Hollywood. There have been times where they've been extremely problematic, and I've spoken up about it. Um, Stassi, hi. Uh, Kristen, also hi. Um, There has been Lala saying things like, do you want to get popped and doing finger guns and acting like she's a gangster and like hiring whatever um, producers with a number or a V instead of an A in their name in order to get legitimacy with her, I don't know, pop hip hop career. But nothing has been more egregious than the tweets coming out from Brett and Max, the two new guys from the show. So there have been a litany of tweets from both of them. It started off with Brett, who is the guy that said that Sheena was a bad kisser. He goes on and on. Um, There's a tweet that says, and just in case you guys don't know, I am black, so I'm allowed to say this word. (laughs) Um, Gosh, okay. So there's a tweet from Brett that says, random black guy walks to this bar and says, fellows, know where I can get any weed? And I said, no, why are you a smoker? And he goes, I need to cope with life, right? Okay, whatever. Um, What's up with black people wearing so much air pastel? I don't get it, LOL. Um, it has a couple of him using the N-word, calling this guy my nigga. Thank you for having... I mean, and then we go on. We go on to Max, and he's even more egregious. He goes on to say, It upsets me that the word nigga is not allowed to be said unless you're black, because quite honestly, it's my favorite word. Nigga! Okay, so it just goes on to be, you know, nigga here, nigga there, nigga, nigga everywhere. And it's just unbelievable. So then, I mean, obviously people had been very upset about what they've said. Um, They have both apologized. I don't really care to repeat their apologies, but I will say um, what Lisa Vanderpump had to say in response, because there were some rumors that Brett might be, excuse me, that Max might be fired, but not Brett. Of course, Um, when has Lisa ever really given any punishment to any man in her life, except for her son, Max, who, you know, is probably still busting at pump for all I know. So Vanderpump goes on to say, I embrace a community of diversity and do not tolerate bigotry of any form within my workplace. 
um, factually incorrect. Lisa continued, Max and Brett are both appropriately ashamed of their past obnoxious teenage arrogance and casual use of unacceptable terms. While both have now matured as adults, they have shown remorse for their prior reckless defamatory statements. The statement concluded, I do sincerely believe both have learned the power and impact that words can have, and I have every hope that this will be a lifelong lesson, lesson for them as we move into this new decade. Bullshit. <laughs> First of all, I don't think it's up to a white woman. I mean, I understand that this is her show and her establishment, but I don't think it's up to her to decide whether or not people are appropriately uh, remorseful for their actions when you're not the direct or even indirect, um, you know, effect when you're not directly or indirectly affected by the words and their behaviors. Um, I think it's abhorrent, but I can't be surprised. I cannot be surprised by Elise's behavior because we saw a whole season of Stassi being able to cry and, you know, cry to a trans woman and cry about how unfair everybody was being, how mean everybody was being to her because she chose to say racist and really misogynistic and problematic things on her podcast, not once, but twice, two separate episodes in which she said horrible things about the women's movement, the Me Too movement, awful things, ignorant things about um, black people and diversity and diversity within Hollywood and, and cinema. And here's why I know that these people aren't wrong. And this is a trend that we've been seeing over and over and over again on Bravo just within the past month. We have it. <clears throat> this is something I noticed when Stassi was having her drama with her podcast. She would talk about how upset she was, only like tweets of people who were supporting her and saying they're like, oh, everybody's a hater. Everybody who doesn't agree, everybody who, you know, is upset with you is stupid and they don't get it. And then also like crying about how, you know, how sorry she is. It's bullshit. It's bullshit when Brandy from Real Housewives of Dallas would go to a wellness retreat what do you need to pay thousands of dollars to cure you of racism <laughs> excuse me <laughs> um we saw it again with leanne who also from dallas who was making horrible remarks about carrie being mexican and being all mexican and strong being a chirpy mexican 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 and having a utter gall to say that she did not know that like putting somebody's nationality into it as a descriptor is offensive and it was very clear to everybody that Leanne didn't understand what she was saying but it was especially clear and I don't think anybody as far as I know has talked about it is that Leanne said a couple times that she was Andy asked her why after all of this time, she has not spoken out to Carrie, not reached out to Carrie to apologize one-on-one. -on -one. And at one point she said, I'm afraid of her. She's like, I'm scared of her reaction because look at how angry she is with me. That is not an excuse. I, I've seen this time and time again is that people do offensive things and they're either having to recover from their offensive behavior while not taking really any sort of... Um, responsibility for their actions and then also putting the blame on the person that they offended um making carry out to seem like <clears throat> she is too scary to apologize to 
you did her dirty unequivocally 100% and now you're afraid of her for being angry? Yeah, she's going to be angry, but you know what? Put on your big girl panties, put on your panty liner that's too tired and your weave that's too tired and nut up and apologize. But you know what? She didn't do it because she doesn't see any problem with her actions. And what's even crazier to me is that I believe Brett, Brett's mother is half black. She is biracial, which makes him biracial. (laughs) And it's disgusting to me that he would even think to part his lips and say these things. So because then they went on to be very like um, fat phobic and just rude about like fat women. So since they want to go that route, I guess I'll go that route with them. I think that Brett and Max look like the rolling sweaty hot dogs at 7-Eleven. I think that they both look like what happens to the extra foreskin after a bris. I think that Brett has a forehead that looks like a piece of bread. It's perfectly shaped like a piece of bread. And I think both of them should be very lucky that Lindsay Lohan didn't have a season two because we know that that's where they both really belong, on Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club and not on Vanderpump Rules, okay? So fuck both of you guys. I'm Team Sheena all day long. I am going to um, curse at the screen every chance, that every time they come on. And yeah. I hope that they step on tacks and Legos for the rest of their lives randomly throughout the day. With that, I feel great. (laughs) This is the end of the podcast, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Please feel free to show some love. Give me a five-star review. Post about me on your Instagram. All of those things. Let, Let the word out. Let them know, you guys. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. I love y'all. Good night.